if you want to continue to evolve in physical therapy, you have to start to learn about strength and conditioning. Because if you don't, you're going to get like left behind. Welcome to Forever White Belt, the podcast where we explore the world of martial arts and the people who dedicate their lives to the craft. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda, and today we have a special guest joining us. She is a doctor of physical therapy and certified athletic trainer based in Southern California, and her passion for guiding her clients through the confusing waters of rehab, performance, and recovery has led her to create Open Mat Physio. She also has a background in martial arts and trains seriously in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And with that, I give you Diana Wang. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, totally. I am stoked to talk to you. So, Diana, you're with the Open Mat Physio, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Went to Univers University of the Pacific in Stockton after high school and I actually went through the athletic training program. So I'm also a certified athletic trainer, which, you know, the people, when you go to like the IBJJF tournaments, the medical staff on the sideline, like the majority of them are athletic trainers. So I have my athletic training degree. And then right after that, I went to physical therapy school right across the bridge at University of the Pacific for two years after that and got my doctorate of physical therapy. So graduated in 2017, um, started working as a physical therapist in like a traditional PT clinic in 2018 and was there for about like a year and kind of just like realized like, wow, there's a lot of holes in our American medical system. And, you know, I just didn't really feel like I was able to serve people the way that I imagined, you know, when I was in PT school, which left me with like this, I, I don't want to say like a existential crisis, but like, my, my, my heart was just like struggling, I guess, to figure out like what is the next path to take. And so decided that I needed to uh, try something different. So came out and started doing my own thing. But then COVID hit. And then during COVID, I kind of took another job just to keep things afloat in terms of just living and bills. And then when I was at that job, I had the same exact feeling and was like, oh, you know what, I, I, I really think that I need to bet on myself and just do this thing that I've been always wanting to do. So if we backtrack just a bit, uh, when I was working on my first job, that's when I kind of discovered jujitsu, walked into like an MMA gym and started doing cardio kickboxing classes and saw on the side that there were people wearing geese, like rolling around and wasn't really sure what was going on. And then our cardio kickboxing uh, teacher, he was like, Oh, you know, I'm also a black belt in jujitsu. I'm going to be holding a couple classes like free of charge if you guys are interested. So, you know, like the typical story, you know, I jumped in one of the classes, started doing some of the drills, and I was like, Wow, this is actually really cool. Mm -hmm. So, started putting two and two together, and the idea of open mat physio kind of naturally just bloomed. Of wow, there's so many jujitsu athletes and hobbyists who are just struggling with injuries, struggling with getting back to training after an injury that I just wasn't seeing enough people who were able to relate and who were able to provide medical information, but also like a plan for them to get back to training that didn't involve like, oh, you need to quit 
or I'll find a different hobby, you know? So mm-hmm. that's kind of like the story. And I've been training jujitsu since then and just really trying to push open mat physio towards the direction of being able to serve the jujitsu community and help just have better resources for getting back from injuries. Now, open mat physio is located and you're located in Southern California, correct? Yeah, so Open Met Physio is located in Southern California. Right now, I'm actually in Hawaii for the next month just to kind of change of scenery. I can work remotely, which is really nice, and just enjoying the island, you know? Yeah, well, definitely, I want to talk to you more about the phys- uh, the remote part of things uh, later in the show. But uh, first of all, there seems to be this huge chasm between Jujiteros and um, physios. Now, in terms of those uh, PT practitioners... Uh, where are all the jujitsu knowledge or grappling or combat knowledge individuals? Because, you know, whenever I've ran into uh, medical assistants, even there's not, yeah. a, you know, there's something as trivial as draining my ear, which sorry, people, I know that's gross, uh, can be like perplexing to like a general practitioner or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's going on there? You know, I think it's a lot of it is um, just experience of, you know, being around the the combat sports world and one of the things that a lot of our clients and a lot of the people that we speak to that struggle with is just this whole relatability factor so if we really think about it right if if like a regular person like you told somebody like that had no interest in jiu-jitsu or no interest in combat sports like oh this is what jiu-jitsu is there has Mm. to be a bit of like a interest in in what's going on in order for them to like really want to understand it. So the majority of medical practitioners, the majority of physical therapists don't have that exposure, which makes Mm -hmm. it really difficult for them to relate to somebody that comes in and says, Hey, I'm a jujitsu. I I practice jujitsu. I got caught in this position and this is how I got injured, you know? So I think the, the, the um, gap is more of a, along the lines of like, not, having one, the experience of training and also just like exposure to the sport. Cause what makes open mat physio a little bit unique is that like we all train. So we all train on a consistent basis and we all, um, have our respective injuries. And Chris, who is, um, the black belt and on open mat physio, he's a physical therapy student right now. He's has like 15 years of jujitsu experience. And that really is kind of like important in a way of being able to shine a light on like not just injuries, but also the mindset behind jujitsu athletes, the lifestyle behind jujitsu athletes, um, the patterns of jujitsu athletes when it comes to mm. coming back from an injury and stuff like all these things matter. And I think mm. we forget because sometimes we're so focused on like, this is the injury, this is how we rehab it that like we we forget that there's like a whole person aspect to the rehab process. And if we can understand how jujitsu athletes and the community function, it gives us a better path towards being able to serve them in the most whole way. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like what we try to do at Open Mat is we just really look at the person, look at the lifestyle, look at the choices that these people have made and come from a place of like, I understand why you would do that. We're all obsessive and we all want to train more and sometimes you ignore injuries. So in terms of the general public not understanding jujitsu, it's because it's so niche. Like it's it's really hard mm-hmm. for people to, to understand, oh yeah, like you would voluntarily wear a pajamas and roll on the ground and break people's arms. Like that's kind of like absurd to most people. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm glad you touched on context. You know, if there's no context, I don't know how many times I've been told, just stop doing it. 
Mm -hmm. you know, just stop doing that thing. You guys have the context of joint locks, strangulations. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very unique place to, to sit for us. And I think uh, our biggest thing is because we see such a lack of education and lack of like quality medical um, advice, because like, like you said, right, you mentioned, okay, when someone goes into most medical offices, they say like, hey, oh yeah, jujitsu sounds really dangerous. <clears throat> you should probably quit. And to us, that's not a reasonable piece of advice just because like there's so much that is rides on like when people train or choose to do jujitsu, there's a lot of reasons to it. It's, it doesn't just mm -hmm. function as a physical outlet, but it also functions as a mental outlet. So people who use it as like their social circle, people who use it as their mental health, like mm, people who use it as a way of fitness, like people who use it, it's like becomes a lifestyle. So right. I think mm -hmm. when there's that piece of advice that is, oh, just find a different hobby, we're like being so, we're neglecting the other aspects, the other benefits of jujitsu that you, you tell, it's really hard to find in other communities, you know, unless you like yeah. really find something. But that's just the way that we function is we try to take into account that because it's such a big piece of most people's lives. It's mm -hmm. unreasonable to say just quit. You know, it's funny because um, I've heard other people uh, talk about the importance of something known as the second location, right? Where pre-pandemic times, it was very typical for people to, you know, home is one location that's critical to your life. And work was our second location oftentimes, right? So you got to go to another place during the lockdowns and everything too, and how things have changed with the um, sort of prevalence of remote work. Uh, we've lost oftentimes that second location, Right. So it's just everything's within the home. And as you mentioned, the academy, you know, or gym or whatever you may call it, it becomes that second location and that critical other sort of outlet for individuals in all of those respects as that you touched upon, psychological, social, physical, in that community, you know, if, if you don't have something else. So I'm glad you uh, touched on that. So you guys understand that. I think a part of it is because we get so many messages just like when we post specific things about the importance of mental health when it comes to rehab is because rehab truly isn't just physical. There's it's, there's a lot of mental aspects that come mm. with it because there's the mm. confidence piece, right? Like after you injure yourself, there's like a, a, a part of you that's like, I need to build confidence in my body again. And so we work on that with, with our clients of being able to like encourage them and show them, hey, this is what you can do. But at the same time, like when that piece is like brought to light on our social media, we get a lot of messages from people who talk about like, Oh, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I had a back injury. The doctor told me I had to quit. So I stopped and then I became depressed and you're right. like, okay, so it's not just physical. Like people really rely on this as a portion of their general health. And we can't just overlook that. So right. when we started getting these messages, it almost gave us another perspective of the importance of being able to serve the jujitsu community in a better way where like people don't have to go through that because it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, you, you see it and you're like, oh man, like from somebody like I've been through, like I know what it feels like to be depressed and, and like have mental health struggles. And so hearing somebody else go through that is like, I would never want anybody to, to go through that. Right. So how can we as a team come together, create something where it's not just helping you get back to training, but it's also uh, touching on, being able to build confidence and having an outlet and bettering your mental health as well. 
a lot of us too, we, we just don't, or a lot of people in general, we simply just don't have the education or the sort of related, no one's given us the pathway in terms of where do we go to next when we've gotten an injury? You know, everyone doesn't mm -hmm. know, like, you know, there's all these professional variability, if you will, right? There's the uh, the masseuses, the acupuncture people, the other, you know, whatever people, the strength people, the personal trainer people, the physical therapists, mm -hmm. and then your general doctor. How can we distinguish, you know, that spider web? You know, which is almost like a workflow. Which which way do I go? Yeah, and that's a really great question because a lot of people do have that struggle too. Is after an injury. The, the way we kind of go about it is like initially after an injury, we know that the body has a very natural way of healing, right? The natural process of healing in the beginning, there's like an inflammatory phase. So during that phase, what we usually recommend is anything that can help us manage your nervous system when it's super heightened in that fight or flight and manage some of the pain and inflammation. So a lot of that would look like some manual work. So any type of massage, any type of, you know, acupuncture, things like that, um, ice heat like i know there's a lot of controversy when it comes to ice heat and some of these passive modalities but the way that like we kind of look at it is anything that can help get you down to a more calm state like your nervous system down to a little bit more of a calm state is going to give us windows of opportunity for us to start actually exercising because mm. for the majority of people the biggest limiting factor is pain if you have pain you're not going to be able to do much because you're going to be like oh nope that hurts i'm going to stop Oh, nope, that hurts. I don't think I'm going to keep rolling or anything, right? Mm -hmm. So when we have that as like our biggest limiting factor, it doesn't make sense. Like, of course, there's like the whole idea of like, what's good pain versus bad pain. But but we can talk about that a little bit later. I think in, in terms of like an acute injury, we like to try to manage the symptoms a little bit first. And then we can start to progressively add some exercise, add some uh, like a, an actual program onto that in order for them to, to progress and like, you know, actually adapt towards being stronger and being more resilient. But in the beginning, it isn't a bad idea. And a lot of times we do tell people, hey, whatever is going to help, like everyone's different. Try to find yeah. something that is going to help you feel better. If you feel better, then your body's going to like have a little bit more leeway, which is going to allow more play. And when we can use that to our advantage, then we can start to really push you in the right direction. But if your body's like screaming at you in the beginning and you're just pushing it, it keeps screaming at you, it's just going to delay like the process of healing. So that's a really good question that you had. And I think it really is dependent on context as well. So if someone comes in, they're like, I have pain or something, then we have to look at like a bunch of history and a bunch of of other pieces of information before we can say this is the appropriate approach and this is the appropriate path that we need to take. Because you know what the usual person at the gym we're going to do, we're going to ask someone next to us, hey, what'd you do? And you know, or even your neighbor, right? And everyone's going to say, you know, hey, I got this chiropractor who worked on my back and, you know, is a wonder or whatever. And you go and it's it does nothing for you. Acupuncture, you could say the same thing, whatever, too. And then these people are lost. And then they go to their medical practitioner, just general practitioner, and they just maybe offer you some painkillers and call it a day rest, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, that seems to be, you know, a dilemma of like, which which direction I go. I, I know I've listened to you before mention something about which I found really fascinating that I didn't know about was in California, we have some sort of insurance thing where we can go directly to a PT or, or something. Yeah. Can you touch upon that, please? Yeah, so uh, California is one of the states um, in the U.S. that has direct access, which means direct that access. 
Yeah, direct okay. access. So you don't have to actually have a prescription from an MD in order for you to go to a, a physical therapist. You can just literally just go straight to a PT. And based on the law in California, you know, if you're going to use your insurance to, to work with somebody, then there's like certain other logistics that come with um, how your insurance company runs with, um, you know, how long you can work with somebody before they need documentation and all. But that's the beauty of, of having direct access is you don't have to go wait, you know, two weeks in a medical office and then get a prescription and then get an MRI and then get an x-ray. And then like, finally, your doctor's like, okay, you actually just need PT. You know, you skip all that time and you can just go straight to a physical therapist that you can trust and say, hey, you know what, this is what's going on. And then they can say, okay, let's take a look and let's, let's um, deal with this. Because the reality is, the majority of musculoskeletal issues that we see in jujitsu can be addressed through physical therapy, like the mm -hmm. right kind of rehab, the right kind of care. So that's like kind of a nice thing that we have in California. Just to remind her, please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe. Like us on Facebook and TikTok at forever white belt. And check us out on Instagram at Forever White Belt Show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring, teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Check us out on YouTube now at Forever White Belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. Jiu-Jitsu practitioner is going to class. Ideas you have in terms of to consider before they go to class, during class, or right before class begins, and then after class. Can you sort of touch upon those three sort of things and what should we be thinking within sort of like a general range of age, you know, of your average age, let's say 30 or something like that, uh, and uh, just a general practitioner? Yeah, so... Um... I, I love that question, actually, because it's like very realistic to like, you know, just all of us. But one of the things we always tell our athletes and all of our clients and we try to spread on social media is you don't necessarily need to train 100% every single day in order for you to be better at jujitsu, right? Like you don't have to like run your body into the ground all the time. I think if we really look at what the journey of jujitsu is, it's a very, it's like a lifelong process. It's a lifelong learning lesson. And we always want to continue to learn as we continue up the ranks of jujitsu. And we won't be able to do that if we're always injured and if our body doesn't have any longevity. So one of the ways that we kind of guide our clients of knowing how hard to train that specific day is a very simple like couple questions called like a readiness scale. And what that looks like is you wake up and you, you kind of like evaluate your body really quickly. Like how sore do I feel? How was my sleep last night? Like how stressed am I? And like just generally like what's my mood, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times if we look at high performance and we look at just generally, I guess physically, if we feel good, just the chance of us having a really good training session or lifting session is gonna be higher. But if we feel bad and then we go in and just try to like push ourselves and run ourselves into the ground, the chance of injury is a little bit higher just because like, let's say you're really sore, you're really stressed out, your body didn't sleep very well. Like, it's just a good little bit of a gauge for us to understand like, okay, 
maybe today I'm just going to flow roll or I'm just going to roll a couple, like a couple rounds. Like I'm not going to go super, super hard. Whereas you're going to wake up some days and be like, I feel amazing. I'm going to hit like seven rounds of six minutes or something like that, you know? And then you mm -hmm. leave the training session feeling great because your body was mentally, physically prepared for that. So mm -hmm. that's one thing we usually try to tell people, especially coming back from an injury. Like the problem we see people feel good and then they're like, Oh, I'm just going to go back and start training really hard. But we forget there's like, there's still a buffer that we need to like, super, like slowly scale up to. So that's a little bit like pre-training before we train, like, like the actual training session, we usually tell people to have like a decent warm up. So whatever they like being aware of, like, let's say I have a history of back problems or I have a history of shoulder problems, like understanding, Hey, I need, I need a couple of things that are going to warm up my back or warm up my shoulder to hmm. prepare me for jujitsu. I think that's a very everybody is responsible for a piece of their warm-up that is specific to their body so hmm. if someone has like a knee problem like it's not a bad idea to, to warm up your knee a little bit more before you train and because if you do this it's a little bit more of like a proactive way to get ahead of your injuries and hmm. uh, what we know is that the one of the highest risks of a re-injury is a previous injury so if you have like an injury to a body part if you aren't like a little bit more proactive with it like it's not guaranteeing that you're going to injure it again but the it just increases your risk just a little bit so mm -hmm. that that's kind of what we would say but after training what i like to do and i've been doing is adding like a short stretching routine because at that point like flexibility and strength are super important in jujitsu i think we just posted a video on that both of them are if anything if you can really improve those two things you're putting yourself in a pretty good position to train for a long period of time and so stretching has for some reason gotten super super demonized and i think that's mm -hmm. because people rely on stretching as their only form of injury and pain management which mm. is not the best approach just because the body is so complex and we need other things as stimulus on top of that in order for us to build resilience and stretching is not enough of a stimulus to build resilience however i do find benefits in stretching after a training session, when you're warm and you like can access that flexibility, like there's nothing wrong with stretching, calming the body down and getting even more access to like what your body can get into mobility and flexibility wise. So I guess like to just recap before training, just have like a bit of a readiness scale, something that you can evaluate your body to know how hard you should train right before training, have a good little warm up for you. Like you can do the class warm up, but also something specific to your past injuries or how your body is. And then after class, like something to cool you down, uh, whether that's stretching, whether that's breathing, anything that can help bring your nervous system down. These are all just like little mm -hmm. tiny tidbits you can add to um, get your body like functioning at its most efficient way. That's uh, interesting that you mentioned breathing because everything I was hearing prior to that was sort of like uh, mobility, it sounded like mm -hmm. to me. And I guess we can use these words interchangeably, uh, warming up, mobility, stretching, mobility. It sort of sounds a bit like the same thing. I mean, do you concur with that? And then also, it sounds like I, I understand uh, warming up or targeting those uh trouble areas that you mentioned mm -hmm. too that that seems super important. During the stretching process, then would you also focus on those trouble areas, quote unquote? You could, you could. So I think it's like, for me, because I have a history of like back issues, I like to make sure that my hips are really loose and really mobile. And then mm -hmm. I, I try to make sure that my like my spine in general is pretty mobile. So after training, I'll do like certain exercises that target those. But like, 
I've just found certain other like it doesn't have to specifically be for my back, but certain things that like oh yeah, this just feels really good, and I mm-hmm. like feeling like my shoulders and my neck are loose and stuff after training too. So, right. and one of the things that you mentioned was breathing. Like I think when we look at like physiologically, right? When the more fit somebody is, they can go from like max heart rate to like like resting heart rate like really quickly. And I think yeah. one of the best ways to like cool down after a hard training session is to almost like practice that is hmm. to use these tools of breathing to help calm your body down and bring you down to like a resting heart rate because it's it's just like this whole thing with the nervous system. Like in jujitsu, we're obviously going to spike it, and then if you can bring your body down to a resting heart rate, then it's like you're more in like a neutral zone where your body isn't in always in fight or flight.、Mm-hmm. So for a lot of our clients who have been in pain for a really long time, we use breathing as an opportunity to help calm their system down. And if we can use that as a way to like bring down their, because you know when you're in pain, your body's in fight or flight. It's constantly like on high alert. Like I don't know how to tell the difference between what's good and bad. And so, using breathing and really using that long inhale and exhale and moving the rib cage and the diaphragm, you're not just allowing some mobility in the in the trunk area, which is super important, but you're like letting your nervous system go from like all the way up here and like slowly bringing it down and letting it kind of get into that relaxation mode, which has a lot of studies have shown like it really helps with like. Pain management because you're not your body's not constantly like fighting up here. It's like kind of coming down. So kind of the same concept when it comes to after training is when you spike your heart rate up. If you do a couple breathing like deep breaths, and I'm sure you've heard of this like for stress management too. If you bring it down, then your body can kind of get back to a normal resting area, and that typically is like a little bit more ideal than being like super heightened all the time. I was speaking with、uh, Henry Aikens, who was、uh, Hickson's Gracie's first one, one of his first black belts, and he、yeah. was mentioning to me,、um, kind of a little critical about flexibility, in that he said, you know, flexibility is great and everything, but typically, like in a roll, if we're really rolling and really going, you're kind of flexing, all right?、Mm-hmm. So you're sort、mm-hmm. of tense, and so. Flexibility it kind of negates the flexibility when you're under that that flexing tension. Your end, your range, of, I guess your end of range or whatever, it doesn't really help all that much. I, I, I'm butchering, I'm paraphrasing here, but、um, you know your your comments on that. I totally see where he's coming from because, like, if we think about true flexibility, it's like in physical therapy called passive range of motion. So it's where somebody pushes your body. You can like stretch your body all the way to whatever end range. Like, let's say someone can pull your leg all the way up to like your head, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, there's no active portion to that, which is unrealistic in jujitsu because when are you actually going to be like letting someone just push you all the way over there? Unless You're like messing around and stuff, but in like a real、mm-hmm. role, there's gonna be a certain resistance that comes to it, which is why people talk about the whole idea of mobility versus flexibility, right? So, mobility is like, can you actively get into those positions and be able to resist in those positions, rather than just having someone be able to push you all the way there? So、mm-hmm. that's more of like a an active range of motion and. Is something that's more emphasized in jujitsu because where we see the most issues is when people get into these like really deep ranges of motion and they have to push out of it and their body is not prepared for that. So、mm. when when you can't resist like if someone were to let's say like push your legs all over like behind your head, obviously like that lever is already at a disadvantage for you. But if your body cannot even handle like trying to Adjust and move out of that position, then like it makes sense why like you would kind of put yourself in compromise. So 
jujitsu is an active active sport and it's constantly active and dynamic so the idea of only training flexibility does not hold as much weight as if you actually train more mobility so Hmm. strength under tension like strength under like lengthened positions i think that's more along the lines of what's would be beneficial for the jiu-jitsu athlete versus just stretching but you know like the way i see it is there's a time and place for everything like i don't think that anything's bad or anything is like off limits i think it all depends on context and nuance which is why sometimes social media is a little bit dangerous is because it's very generalized and Mm -hmm. everybody like you can't have one person look at it be like that applies to everything in my life it has to be like okay well everybody's a little different and everybody is a little everyone's body is built differently everyone's limitations are a little bit different so finding the appropriate approach is the most important part and then you can kind of take at least the principles and run with it but if someone's super flexible it doesn't mean that they're not going to have pain because i've seen a lot of jujitsu guys and girls that are super super bendy like bendy beyond belief like they can like put their leg behind their head and stuff but they're still in pain and you're like like what's going on right so that's where we have to explore like the strength that and ranges the general foundational strength like these are things that become the big glaring holes that we see that we're like okay this makes a lot of sense just because you're bendy doesn't mean it's good and can you explain this topic for me before because i've heard you mention it before relocation and dislocation when you dislocate a joint it it's when the joint comes out and it doesn't come back in like it requires somebody to like pop it back in so for example i was at master world like i think 2019 right before the pandemic and i was watching this this match and this uh there was it was a black belt match and i think it was like really dynamic they were like scrambling like crazy uh one guy caught a kimura and the other guy just like i guess rolled the wrong way and then mm. everyone just in the audience heard like a pop right yes. and we're like oh my god and then i just see him like grab his shoulder and i just see the the the, the, the um actual head of the shoulder like down here and i was like oh no oh okay so for a quick moment it's like okay you look at it and you're like okay is it going to pop back in which is if it pops back in it's more of a subluxation so if it pops out pops back in it's a subluxation but if it pops out and it stays out then it's a dislocation so run over there and then i'm talking to this guy and he speaks french and i don't speak french so i literally looked at him and i was like okay we need to just get this back in because the reality is if we keep a joint out of the socket for too long it's going to start to compromise all the structures around it. So the blood vessels, the nerves, even the tissues, you know, like it's your muscles are going to get super tight. and It's going to be really hard to, to like relocate. So from there, I just told him, I was like, I, I shoved him his, his, um, one of his lapels. And I said, and I just was like, bite down. And he, he like saw me, his bit down. <laughs> I stuck my, I stuck my knee in his armpit and I just traction and pulled it out and it went wow. pop and popped back in. Wow. And I, I saw the, the look on his face go from pain to like relief. And he just looked at me and was just like, oh, yeah, okay. Wow. And then so obviously, obviously the match was over, right? Yikes. Got him up. And then we, um, they like raised the other guy's hand. We took him to the, the medical table and then we kind of taped him up and then try to translate the best that we could to like go visit a, uh, an, an imaging place and go see your doctor and stuff. But like we are encouraged as medical professionals at that type of setting to try to relocate joints as soon as possible 
just because hmm. it's so difficult to relocate after a certain amount of time because the muscles get super tight like and like the longer the joint is out of the socket the more the structures around it are going to be like affected so we want to try to minimize that as much as we possibly can and that's kind of the way but i mean there's a couple joints that we have to be a little bit more careful with and that's why we have supervisors who like I'll like always ask them like okay if this were to happen like how would you approach it you have to make sure obviously there's no uh, fractures and stuff going on but if it's like a true dislocation you're like I just need to get the joint back in it's like we try to do it as soon as possible Jeez. Now, after something like that, like a relocation, what does entail after that? Physical therapy? I mean, yeah. So a lot of times with like people who have had dislocations of joints, there's a bit of like an instability that's going to be there because, you know, once the tissues are compromised, like, again, the likelihood of an injury like that happening again, you hear all the time. I popped my shoulder out and then I didn't really do anything about it. Just popped back in. And then like a couple weeks later, I went to train, got in a funky position. My shoulder popped out again. So it, it's a very common thing, but one of the biggest approaches that's super important is like consistent strength training and building the stability around that joint. Because when we think about it, our body's muscles should be our first line of defense to anything. So when we're moving, when we're walking, when we're, we're doing jujitsu, our muscles should be able to like ebb and flow with us while we're moving, right? When, when we start to hit a point of like fatigue or we start to hit a point of like uh, weakness, then that's where other structures are going to get involved. So if you're, and this is like the most, like, I guess the most simple way to explain it. There's obviously a lot of physiology behind like how things move, but the way that I try to explain to clients is like, our goal is to build enough muscle around the joint to create that stability. Cause if you're not able to have muscle create the stability, then your body's going to naturally want to pull from other structures to try to create that stability. So if we can really utilize a way of developing a lot of strength and uh, resilience in that specific like area around the, the joint and then obviously in like the rest of the body, then you're going to put yourself at a better chance of being able to preserve the joint and minimize the amount of like re-injuries as possible. And what I'm thinking of is like what a lot of laymen, what we call uh, imbalances, like mm -hmm. if you know someone's hip is going up on one side or the other, um, you know, you know what what fascinates me about that particular topic and what you were describing is what you have to undo, you know, mm -hmm. because of someone who hasn't done a lot of strength training and has a particular injury. Just the rever you're reversing the process. It seems like it's interesting because as humans, right, as we get older, we our bodies naturally mm, develop patterns based on like our history of whatever we've done, right? So it's very normal for like a MMA fighter or like a jujitsu athlete, if they've been doing this their entire life to like walk in and have certain uh, postural things and have certain developments of their hips and of that are very, very specific to jujitsu. Like it's like- Body it's, compensations, it's, it, right? Yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's literally just like how our bodies have which, which is like what's so beautiful about like the human body is we can adapt to whatever stress we put on it. So when, when we kind of look at like postural things and all these things that are developed over time because of what we've done, they're not necessarily bad. It's only when they start to cause people problems where we start to be like, okay, well, let's take a little bit deeper of a look to see if this is even relevant. So I, I'm sure you've seen like a lot of posts and stuff. And this is like kind of like old school PT old school medical advice, but like people will say like, 
anterior pelvic tilt is bad. Um, a kyphotic posture, like rounded shoulders is bad. Like uh, flat, flat feet are bad. Like none of these things are inherently bad because the body is adaptable, right? Just because you have any type of structural difference in your body doesn't correlate with pain. And there's been so many studies that show like bad posture or like bad posture, what people would deem as bad posture. There's very little correlation to like someone having pain. It's more towards like, can you access certain ranges of motion outside of what your static posture looks like? Hmm. So to me, I don't care if you're standing on your like rounded shoulders and stuff like that, but can you get here? Like, can, if, if I need to get you in a position where like you need to be rotating, can you get there? Oh, if you can, oh yeah, no problem. Like, I don't really care like how you sit. You can sit slouched. You can sit like however, whatever, as long as it doesn't, because then that, that's not really relevant to me. However, if somebody comes in and they like have something going on and then we start to see like lack of mobility, um, lack of access to a joint, uh, strength issues, stability issues, then it's like, okay, this is just a piece of the puzzle that we can start to unpack. And then we start to use the other, our other assessments to, and interventions to kind of like test and retest. Okay, let's see if this works. Oh, great. Like that actually one opened up your joint, help you feel better. We retested the movement that was painful and it wasn't so painful. Okay. We're on the right path towards the direction we need to go in order to kind of help us quote unquote, like, I guess, relearn certain patterns that are a little bit more beneficial to this specific person. So that's kind of like the approach. All I'm sure every podcast host that you've talked to has is t tallying all of our injuries and in, in years within our head. And boy, that can be a long, it sounds like that can be a long process back, like a long process, right? Yeah. And, and what, what I guess is like so great about what we do is being physical therapists, we're challenged with like developing a, an eye for specific patterns. Right. Mm. And if we can figure out a program where we can, it's almost like bang for your buck. I can find multiple things that can be addressed with just these couple of exercises. Then it's almost like for you, you're like, oh, wow, great. I don't have to be like, I'm rehabbing my shoulder. And then now I'm rehabbing my knee. And then now I'm rehabbing my back. It's like, we want to try to create as comprehensive of a program that is going to target as many things as possible in like the shortest amount of time. Like, of course, mm -hmm. we can't rush the process of rehab and we can't rush you getting back on the mats, but we don't want to waste time. Like right. we want to make sure that we're being as efficient as possible, being as um, thorough as possible with our assessments, with our check-ins, with our adjustments to the program. So you're right. getting the most benefit out of it rather than being like uh, a lot of times PT programs. Oh, here's like six exercises, do them for six months and hopefully you're better. Like hmm. to us, that is like not like a pro like we, we feel like that's just like non-negotiable. Like you can't, mm -hmm that that's not fair to the person that you're is trying to get your help. Like we should be doing our best to help you get back as quick as possible, but as safe and as reasonable as possible. Do you see like certain areas? Let's talk, we'll talk about the, like, for example, someone said has a knee back and a shoulder thing and you're going through your particular or particular PT program. Uh, do certain points get better quote unquote than other ones? you know, until, and can you get to baseline, whatever that means? Again, I think it kind of goes down, comes down to like history of the person. It's a little bit trickier to like, like you mentioned earlier, it's like it was a little trickier to, to help rehab like chronic issues. I think chronic issues are what most people deal with, which is like pain that's been going on for a long time. 
those problems are take a little bit more time. And mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm, I'm also the type of person that's like, never say never. Like, I think you can rehab anything. Like I've seen people come back from like, um, incredibly like life changing, uh, incidents. And, and because of just pure, like consistency because of having really good guidance and because of like persistence, like they've been able to come back from like an injury that you never thought they would be able to come back from, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm always very hopeful whenever I meet clients and talk to people like, you know, I've, I've, because I've seen these things, like there's no reason why you should feel like this is the end, mm-hmm. but I will be realistic and say, look, you've had this back issue for eight years, 10 years right? We have to be realistic that this isn't going to take two months. This is probably going to take six months to a year. And in order for us to completely be on the uh, the opposite side of mm. you feeling like really, really good and really, really confident in yourself. Mm. And I, I think what helps with that is like, you're really setting the stage of longevity because mm. what we know is a quick fix is never going to last. A quick fix can last maybe a couple months. And then you're going to kind of be back where you are, which is like, oh, I'm back in pain. I hurt myself again. But what we really want for our clients is to be able to, for us to teach them everything that we know, for them to like learn about their bodies and then be able to get to a point where they're like, I feel really confident that if a flare up happened, I can manage it myself. Like if, if we can do that for somebody, that is like our ultimate sign of success is like we have really helped somebody not rely on somebody for their like chronic back pain, they've almost taken the power into their own hands to say, I feel pretty good about this. Like I don't, I I'm going to have you as a resource, but I won't like need to be like dependent on you for my future issues with this specific, you know, joint and stuff. Let's talk about um, some common problem areas for jujitsu practitioners and um, such as, you know, we've touched on shoulders. It seems to be mm-hmm. prevalent, especially over mm-hmm. time. Uh, and uh, this is public school anatomy talking here, so I have no idea. Um, <laughs> the psoas or what some people call hip flexors, whatever, you know, yeah. if there's a yeah. difference. Uh, lower back, the knees. And with a lot mm-hmm. of beginners, you see rib injuries. Why are we seeing all this in jujitsu? At the most basic level, jujitsu is such a, in its core, like, the goal is to break somebody's joint. The goal is to hurt somebody, right? It's like, of course, there's like the safety things that come with it of like, when we train, there's always a way to, to train safely. Tra- you pick the right training partners. You, you are very, you tap. Yep. You're very aware of like positions that you're not comfortable in. And if you can communicate with your training partners, then it puts you in a better place to like not get injured. Right. But the other layer is like jujitsu is so dynamic. It's something where it's like a respond, react and act and react type of sport that like a lot of times there's things that are unpredictable. So like, let's say somebody gets into a weird position and then they all of a sudden try to explode out of it. And then you're like, oh shoot, like I just felt like a tweak here, which has happened to me before too. And there are certain body parts that are a little bit more compromised because these are the joint locks that we learn. So uh, a lot of like the heel hooks, like the leg, leg entries and stuff people are teaching, like if people don't treat the heel hooks in a very safe way, like a lot of people can get injured from that. And then of course the shoulders and all that kind of stuff, but because we're like yanking people's shoulders and trying to get people to tap. But I think when it comes to like beginners with like rib injuries and like a lot of neck issues too, I've seen that a lot. Hmm. It, it comes down to like, and I try to like reason this, right? Like every day I'm like trying to think like, why is this so common? And one of the big things that I see is because a lot of people who start jujitsu, right? Don't, Exactly. If maybe they do have a history of like some type of sport or they were an athlete at some point, 
but a lot of times they don't. And like, if you think about going from a sedentary, regular uh, person who just works at a desk and, or, you know, has like a walking around for their job. And then you all of a sudden get them in positions where they're curled up in a ball and they're rolling up and upside down. And then there's someone putting pressure onto them. And then they have to like get out these like really, really like non-traditional positions. Like it makes sense that the body is going to have to adapt in a certain way. So it's almost like in the beginning, I try to tell a lot of beginners, like don't throw so much onto your body at the same time, because it's going to like, your body has to take time to like understand certain, I guess, parts of jujitsu. So if you can try to be a little bit more mindful about like trying to learn everything at the same time, like just ease your body into these, these specific weird positions that you're not used to. And then once you can get used to that, then kind of move on and increase intensity, increase the way that you're moving. And then that'll kind of save you the trouble of dealing with something where your body, it's almost like a shock factor, like, boom. And then you're like, Oh my God, like what just happened? Right. That's how most people approach it and it's it's not the most uh recommended and I, I went through this myself when i was a white belt i literally just like trained like seven days a week like it's like that doesn't make any sense because i i went from doing like nothing that was even close to being like jujitsu to train seven days a week like no wonder i had like neck pain for like six months it's like okay that kind of makes sense but yeah i mean injuries in jujitsu are a lot of times um it's hard to predict like specifically why they happen but it's almost like instead of asking like why they happen, we can try our best to get ahead of not completely preventing injuries because that's impossible, like <laughs> impossible to prevent injuries. But what we can do is try to build a resilient enough body that let's say something were to happen, your rebound rate or like your bounce back is going to be a little bit faster than somebody who never prepped their body. So I would rather you have get a muscle strain than like dislocate your shoulder. So the severity is, is going to be one of the factors where we're like, oh my God, like I prepared myself enough that like I can recover a little bit faster. So let's talk, we touched on a little bit earlier, but things like uh, people with recurring issues and uh, also just this concept of knowing when you're done with PT. Is, is it a, ever a never ending process? And then, and then also people that are just living with injuries and which so many of us do, right? And we just... We just let them, quote unquote, take care of themselves, right, on their own. And then it's like this thing that becomes an old friend that you, it's like the pebble in the shoe sort of analogy. Yeah, totally. So when we think about like finishing PT, it's almost like there's a, an ending to like this specific phase. But I think it's a little bit more helpful to think of rehab as a on the spectrum of like fitness and strength training. So when we think about like, strength training and being like high performance and then rehab on the spectrum rehab is just on the very low end and high performance and strength training is on the very high end and so what we always talk about is like rehab should eventually lead to some type of strength training right when when we try to differentiate like physical therapy and strength training it doesn't make any sense i mean i, I can see why but then at the same time like there should be a um almost like a, a natural flow that goes from like what rehab is, which is managing injuries, managing uh, pain, but like eventually that should turn into a strength program. So when we think about like the ending of PT, it's almost like not just so much like the end, but like a transition from like the lower level pain management injury stuff to like traditional strength work. 
lifting weights to compound movements to sprinting plyometrics like these are the things that we know are the fountain of youth like in order to for for you to stay healthy and for for you to stay young some of the best things that you can do is lift heavy weights and sprint and plyometrics like these are things that will stress your body to the point where you can build that resilience so when we kind of like look at it that way it's a little bit easier for our clients to understand that like oh there's no specific ending to rehab like rehab is just the beginning of the strength and conditioning program that unfortunately like we have to do this for the rest of our lives like as people who who like are active and want to stay healthy on the mats like it's just a reality that like if you strength train and and do all the things off for the rest of your life you're going to be in a pretty decent shape to just take on any physical activity you want to do and just in general for wellness so it's almost like getting into the mindset that like yeah I'll probably be lifting weights and doing these exercises for a really long time they're just going to look different from like the beginning of rehab which might be a little bit easier a little more regressed but eventually getting to like the lift the um squats deadlifts push pull that kind of stuff that we see in like a traditional weightlifting program i've heard you mention the importance of these sort of fundamental lifting ideas like you mentioned deadlifts squats etc there are people that we know who just say you know i i don't lift weights that's just not my thing you know, we're lucky if they do jujitsu, right? But they'll do jujitsu or something. But I just do some mobility stuff. I do some yoga. Lifting weights is just not my thing. Your workarounds, I guess, alternatives for those individuals. Yeah, I, I, we've worked with people like that before. I think it's one of one of the big pieces is like trying to just like meet them where they are. Okay, like why uh, kind of like dig a little bit deeper into like what um, about weight training is something you don't enjoy. And we try our best to be able to like find like a middle ground of, hey, look, like I'm going to just explain to you the education piece of why lifting some weights is actually important. Like I'm not going to force you to be like a professional weightlifter, like a bodybuilder. However, we have to remember that physiologically, in order for us to be a little more resilient, we need to put on a little muscle. Like your muscle is supposed to help you stabilize your joints and help you, I guess, like, again, that we were talking about, like that first line of defense when you do jujitsu. And when we're able to just have this conversation in the very beginning and just kind of educate them, like, and bring a little bit of a perspective while listening to them and understanding their point of view, we can come to this middle ground of like, okay, well, what if we decide to kind of approach it in a way where let me show you what strength training can do for you. So it's almost like my job to be able to, take what they say and process it and say, okay, no, I understand. Like I, I get why you don't like it. And then just slowly ease them into some really basic strength work. And then for them to feel the difference. And then they'll be like, oh, wow. Like I never thought that I would be able to do that. And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. see, like it's, it's almost like just being able to compromise and, and add a little bit of strength training. Like this is what your body could be. This is how you could feel. And then they like, slowly just get used to that like or get kind of like uh, bought in a little bit that the fact that weight training is actually really good for you and at the end of the day like we're not here to like force anybody or convince anybody to do anything right but because like we find the benefits and where there's so much evidence that shows like the benefits of strength training the benefits mm -hmm. of putting on more muscle and taking care of your joints we just try to bridge the gap a bit and then expose people to it and like move at the pace that they're comfortable with because if they're not comfortable with really pushing it there's no point of us pushing it either because they're not gonna they're just gonna resist but if we can slowly allow them to ask the questions and for us to be there as like a like a comfortable person to talk to 
then they're going to slowly come come to terms like, oh, yeah, maybe this is something that I need to do. And then slowly ease them into it. And then eventually they're like, wow, this is actually really, really helpful for me. And I feel a lot better. And then it kind of like helps them solidify the idea that like maybe weight training isn't like the devil, you know. It's funny. Yeah, because I know there's certain people that are like, you know, I don't want to look bulky. I don't want to bulk yeah. up. You know? Yeah. you know, what's crazy is like people say that all the time, but yeah. it's so hard to bulk up, like even <laughs> right. especially, especially for women, right? Like it's like, we don't have the testosterone that men do. And it's yeah. like, in order for you to look bulky, you have to like eat nonstop. You probably, <laughs> you have to take protein powder supplements like all day and you might <laughs> need steroids. Like it's like for, yeah. for guys, like if you even ask like some of the best trainers in the world, like. They don't constantly look ripped, but they say like, it's the same thing. Like you have to eat a lot of food. You have mm. to like really be like very proactive about it. And you have to lift so many weights to like, for you to bulk. It's like pretty difficult for to do that, you know? So touching on for those people that are living with the injuries, you know, and just le mm -hmm. letting them take care of themselves. Um, yeah. What do you say to them? there's like this whole like gray area, right. Of like injuries and how long they last. And, and most of the time it's unrealistic to think like, I'm just going to manage an injury. It's never going to come back. So this is also an educational piece that we tell our clients and we try to um, spread to our followers is like flare ups are normal and flare ups are going to be a part of the life's journey because jujitsu one is it changes so much. And like you, we can't predict a lot of things. So like, if you do like tweak your shoulder, or tweak your back or something like that's normal it's something that we have to just accept is going to be a part of the process. Now, the biggest change is going to be like, if you have prepared your body or you're like working on your injuries, then you're going to be able to come back to training a lot faster than somebody that did it. Right. So it's almost like, cause resilience truly isn't like avoiding injuries. Resilience is being able to deal with an injury in a better way than you used to. So being a little bit more prepared, like being, being able to bounce back from something a little bit faster with a little bit more efficiency. Like that's the definition of resilience for people who are living with injuries. Like, I, I think it's like something that's really realistic, right? It's like, unless the, the reality is like most people won't seek out physical therapy until their injuries are stopping them from doing something that they love. And so if it's really holding them back from like training jujitsu at all, like a hundred percent or like to the point where they're like, I really don't feel like this is like my quality of life then they're going to address it. Right. But the majority of like jujitsu athletes are going to have some type of thing that they're dealing with. And it's up to them to say like, Hey, is this enough for me to go and get it addressed? Or I can just kind of deal with it for the rest of my life. And my perspective is like, people can do whatever they want. And like, if you feel like you can live with your injuries for the rest of your life, that's, that's fine. You know, like we can, we can try to continue to preach like, take care of your injuries, take care of your injuries, take care of your injuries. But again, like everyone has their own decision-making and everyone decides like whether or not they want to live with this or not. Like it's, it's, it's really hard for us to like say like you must deal with it. You must address it. But until somebody is ready to like work through whatever they're dealing with, like it's honestly pretty normal for people to be like, I just have injuries and I just deal with them. Since we're not as immersed in this whole field as you are, um, what do you see as like the future of physical therapy and athletic training and how, how do you envision it going forward? So, um, yeah, I've, I've been a PT for like this year, October will be six years. So it's pretty interesting to see like the evolution of PT. And I think physical therapy is going to eventually be very heavily based in like a gym setting. So 
in the strength training world. It's just going to be a blend of like understanding the idea behind injuries and pain and then being able to build a good strength program. And I always tell all my friends and colleagues who are PTs, like, if you want to continue to evolve in physical therapy, you have to start to learn about strength and conditioning. Because if you don't, you're going to get like left behind. Because we, we're starting to see more of the push towards like the whole idea of longevity and resilience, right? And the only way we know that is proven that to build that is consistent strength training that is progressed properly towards adaptation. So you always have to, your body has to continue to adapt over time. And the only way we can do that is by the very long, like standing principles of strength and conditioning. So like I've taken the last, like since I graduated from PT school and left my first job, taken a lot of courses and learn from some of the best strength coach strength coaches and like sprint coaches in the world and they all say the same thing you know it's like everything comes down to the basics so if you can understand the basics of rehab really well to understand the basics of bridging that gap from rehab to performance um, training or strength training and then understanding the basics of strength training and strength and conditioning really well then you're going to put yourself in a really good position to be a really quality physical therapist later down the line or even now like i think some of the best pts that i know are constantly evolving and understanding that like the true not secret but the gems that we can get that can really help our clients are going to be within the personal trainers and the strength and conditioning coaches that have already been in this um, field for what 15 20 years like those are the best people to learn from because they've been doing the exactly what we need to do with our clients have you seen like advancements in terms of the tools that you get to use as well? Things like sensors, monitors, et cetera. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think like with technology, it's done a really good job of allowing us to create better ways of measuring things. So like, for example, coming back from a surgery, like post-op ACLs or like post-op shoulder stuff, like there's a lot more tools coming out that can help us track your building strength, building power, building speed, like those things really, really well. Uh, which I think is just going to continue to evolve with technology. But definitely, like those tools are going to be something that's very helpful for PTs in the future to be able to just have a lot better measurements rather than just guessing. For a while there, there, there was like an explosion of um, like heart rate monitor type of things that Jujiteros were mm. sort of wearing there, like whether it's the whoop strap or uh, yeah. the polar chest strap or, or whatever it may be. And that, I, that trend seems to be like dipped off and I rarely see that anymore. But um, is there much utility in that for like the practitioner? I think it just depends on the goals. Some people like with the whoop and stuff, like I I know a lot of athletes that use them to track their heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. And that is like one of the ways that they track like how their heart health and their just general conditioning. So if someone's goal is very specific on like training cardio and like really building up their gas, like their gas tank and like the their heart health, then like using a whoop is super helpful and, and looking at the trends of like where your heart rate goes and, and all that. And in general, like there's so much complexity and this is something that like I will like humbly say that I don't know a ton about because I haven't really dived like dove into it too much, but there's a lot of like zone one, zone two, zone three, the, the ways that where our heart rate fluctuates based on like the stress we put on our body. But there's like a lot of research coming out about like zone two training where it's like a, a sub maximal heart rate range that if you 
sit in that range for a long period of time, there's a lot of benefits that come with your cardiovascular system and your, your like, just like in, in general, like your body. So it's understandable that why it was like such a big trend because everyone was trying to, is trying to optimize their body, which I think is good, but also there's a lot of complexity that comes with that too. And if you don't, like you're not like super serious and like trying to have like goals of like using that specifically for like super high performance. And I understand why people are like, ah, it's too much work. You know, <laughs> I just, I just don't want to have to track it every single day. So some people just love data. Yeah. For data's sake. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know people that like love data and it's like, Hey, you know what you do you like if, if you love the, that stuff and you have goals with that, then like, that's the perfect tool for you. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's starting their journey in your field in physical therapy or athletic training, let's say, you know, change of career or even someone coming out of high school in general. It's funny that you asked that because like, um, I do like get like PT students in our, our DMs asking these questions. And I guess we can like uh, touch on two. So one specifically of just general coming out of school and then two, like working with the jujitsu population because jujitsu is getting so popular. Like I've seen more and more people reach out to us asking like, oh, I'm a student interested in working in BJJ. Like what's your advice, right? So for people that are coming out of school that are just trying to be new grads, like my first piece of advice is go into it understanding that you need to get reps. So it's not a bad idea to work in a clinic that is like high volume. A lot of people going in and out because you're going to get the repetitions. Like just like jujitsu, like how are you going to know how to problem solve if you never get the reps, right? So getting the reps is going to teach you one, how to manage your time and then how to think under pressure. And I think those two things are so important in being able to learn how to critically think and make decisions as a physical therapist, right? And then two, the, the other piece of advice I told her is like, don't be afraid to like make mistakes because luckily our job is a job where we're not gonna kill somebody if we make a mistake. Chances are we're gonna underdose them, which means like, I probably won't give you enough stimulus to your body and you probably won't get better. Like that is one of the, the consequences of what happens when we when we start out as a new grad is like, I remember when I first started, I literally like gave the, just like definitely not enough exercise or not enough of some like a certain program to somebody. And then my, my patients would come back and be like, I don't know, I feel the same. And I'd be like, why do they feel the same? You know, so it just took time for me to understand like, oh, I wasn't giving them enough. So not being afraid to make mistakes and, and, and things like that is going to help propel the career of somebody just because you can learn from the lessons rather than avoid the lessons. So those are like the two biggest things I usually tell PT students because knowledge is going to come with time. Your skills are going to get better with time. You just need experience. And we have this like as physical therapy students, and this is something I experienced when I was a PT student too, is like we're so obsessed with being perfect. Like literally, you're not going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. So if you can just accept that all the things that you do aren't going to be perfect and you, all you can focus on is just trying to be better, then you're putting yourself in a mind space that is going to help you grow. So that's usually what I try to tell new students coming into the field. Now, when it comes to jujitsu, people always ask, what are your tips and advice of building a practice and like uh, making a name, you know, working with jujitsu athletes? And my biggest piece of advice always is get into the community. I don't care how good you are as a physical therapist. I don't care what kind of tools and certifications. The, the jiu-jitsu community does not give a shit like of the letters behind your name. If you don't get into the community and build trust, you're never going to be able to like help anybody. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell them, get in the community, go train, go talk to people, go literally just be 
like go be a student. And over time, people are going to notice, oh, okay, like this person is interesting. This person actually wants to learn. And then you eventually start to build relationships with people. You start to build trust. And then they say, like maybe six months later, hey, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a PT. No way. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I work with jujitsu. No way. And then that's where you start to build this rapport that is very organic and natural. Because the worst thing that anybody can do, and I've seen this happen, is a PT who's interested in working with jujitsu walks into a school, never trained before in their life, and said, I'm a PT, I can help you. Because literally, everyone's like, who are you? Like, I literally don't know who you are. Like, I don't even know if I could trust you. Like, why are you doing this? And you're like trying to like, almost like have this power over me. So like, I prefer and everyone's different. Like, I just prefer everything being organic. And so I just literally tell them, go train, get into the community, build trust and everything else will, will like come as you go. And that's how Open Math Physio started. Like we never try to walk into a place and say, look at my degrees and this is what I can do for you. It's more of a train with a, a bunch of different people, learn from everybody, build a good relationship. And then people naturally just come to you and say, oh yeah, you're like that PT group, huh? And we're like, oh yeah, we are, you know, we can, we can help you. And then they're like, oh wow. And then little by little word of mouth, people start to trust you. When they trust you, then like, it's almost like it's just going to naturally grow. You know, I was speaking with Sophia Casella, who's a professional grappler sometime back, and she was on a path to working in PT offices and stuff too, and, and that career. And she just, she didn't like working in the PT office, in your typical PT <laughs> office. And I've heard you touch on this before, something in the past too. Can you expand on the reasoning? Why, what happens there? What's happening? Oh my God. Yeah, I can absolutely. This is the reason why I got out of that PT office. But so there's like this, um, of, of course, I think things are getting better in a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people in the field of physical therapy who are trying to change the insurance-based model in a way where it's a little bit more approachable, the care is a little bit better. But if we talk about like what we would deem as like a PT mill, it, it almost is like, for lack of a better term, an assembly line. So I'll kind of paint a picture of like what my first job was and like how that that would function for us and, and why I just felt like it was not a very productive way to treat. And so what it would be like is my first job was I would see three patients every hour. So everybody has a 20 minute slot, right? When they would come in, because we are um, controlled by insurance, a lot of the way that we treat is dictated by how many billing units we can bill with every single session. And so naturally there's gonna be certain things that are billed higher than other things. So because insurance companies aren't physical therapists, they typically put certain things at the top that are that we're gonna get more reimbursement on and then that's gonna dictate like what we can do with the patient during our session. And so I remember the way that it would function is like every single day I would see somewhere between like 15 to 17 patients and every 20 minutes I would just be massaging them. I would massage them for 20 minutes and then after the 20 minutes I would write like a short exercise program based off whatever information I was able to gather and then I would hand them off to what we would call like a PT assistant or an aide where they would take the, the patient through an exercise program, right? The exercise program we prescribe, quote unquote. And the downfall of that system is that one, I, I think it's not so much like a uh, like a, a time thing because there's so much that you can do within a certain amount of time. But I think it's more of like, it's unrealistic to expect somebody to be able to provide that much like good care if you're under that much 
stress of knowing that like I only have this amount of time and I have to massage them, you know, because it really takes away the whole idea of like critically thinking of, okay, maybe manual therapy is going to help somebody. Like I, I, that, that could be the possibility in any, any specific context. However, the majority of people need exercise and how can we really dive into specific movements and how someone, uh, what someone really needs when we're in that, that setting. And like, mind you, we haven't even talked about like if a client shows up late or a patient um, needs to stay longer or they talk too much or there's complications in the schedule. Like you can imagine like people are getting double booked, triple booked on top of each other. And then like this care becomes starts to dramatically drop because instead of worrying about how can I adjust the program, you're more worried about, oh, my God, I'm late. Wow. Oh, my God, I'm running late. Like, how am I supposed to, like, figure things out when I'm running late? And mm. your fight or flight kicks in, your decision making gets all messed up. And that's that's literally just covering, like, you're taking care of people on a regular basis. Like, it's not a very efficient system. And then on top of that, you have to think about billing and all the back end stuff when it comes to, like, like management being on you about, oh, you have to bill a certain amount of money per hour or whatever. And then there's, like, the whole, like, eth- ethical, like, side of it where it's, like, can you truly build this much when it comes to like the treatment where you like were double booking people and all that kind of stuff? Like mm. to me, that just wasn't ethical. Like it's you're claiming to have treated this person for an hour where you only spent 20 minutes with them. Like that is, in my opinion, not ethical and it's taking advantage of the system. And those are like some of the reasons why I just like stepped away from that setting because I just didn't think it was like I couldn't keep going to work knowing that like this was how people are being treated. And that like the majority of people who go in and get better, like don't really get better. Like it was just against, against the way that I would want to help people. Right. If I can share like an in my personal experience uh, with a very large medical system, let's say rhymes with Bizer. And uh, <laughs> I went in for, take, you know, their, their example of PT, which sounds very similar to you, but I never got the luxury of massage ever. They kind of did a general assessment and then they would just give me a printout, really. And the printout looked like some dad from the 80s and khakis and loafers and it's a, like a black and white printout of like some suggested exercises and you're on your way and you're out the door mm-hmm. and and I'm at a loss kind of like uh I don't even know if I'm supposed to come back or anything you know so mm-hmm. I mean that it was just an awful experience and unfortunately that's like the experience of a lot of people and you know like uh there's there's definitely like differences in quality depending on where you go but the majority of um the insurance-based models are not exactly they don't really care so much about like if you actually have a plan and stuff it's more of like how much can we get out of your copay and and how much can we juice like squeeze out of your insurance and like you know people can say like oh no there's like all these places that are doing better than that and all that and like sure like there of course there are people that are trying to make things better but like this is unless we take like a hard look and like a true reflection of like what the general physical therapy system looks like in our country like we're never going to be able to make change and that's why you see so many people so many pts coming out and doing their own practice they're just like screw it i don't even want to deal with insurance insurance has screwed me over and i don't want to provide that quality of care for for my clients like they deserve so much better and the model that we're all trying to do is so much better like you're actually helping people instead of just worrying about like how much money can i like grab out of their insurance you know now earlier you touched on a topic that i want you to expand on some more if you could and that would be good pain and bad pain can you uh sort of elaborate mm. on that yeah so pain is something that's really interesting um because it's so multifactorial what i mean by that is 
there's so many different factors that play into why if someone experiences pain. And pain science is like a rabbit hole that a lot of people dive into and it's actually super, super complex. But the general gist of it is that like our bodies, like when we experience an injury, right? We can we can attribute that like as a metaphor to like let's say if someone breaks into your home. So if someone breaks into your home, you're gonna have that initial shock factor, which is why like after an injury, you're gonna have a lot of pain. When time starts to pass, the pain starts to get better. So if someone broke into your house, you're gonna feel a little bit of like less scared, right? As time goes on. However, let's say a couple weeks later, you are at home and then you hear this loud boom outside of your house. You're gonna be like, like a little bit more paranoid, a little bit more nervous of like, oh shoot, what's that? Like a little bit more sensitive to that noise because a couple weeks ago your house was broken into. So it's kind of the same concept with pain is that when you experience an injury and you deal with pain, a lot of times your body's going to be a little hypersensitive when it comes to specific movements, specific positions and stuff like that. So even if let's say your tissues have healed and let's say your body um, within the timeline of like tissues healing, your body may not have completely adjusted back to like the baseline of processing pain. So people are going to feel a little bit more sensitive, even though let's say they're like, oh, this still hurts, but like my injury was two months ago. Realistically, the tissues have healed, but your nervous system is still, for some reason, on high alert. And so this is where we kind of can dive into like what's good pain, what's bad pain, what's pain that we can work through, what's pain that is a complete red. And I think it's also important to touch on like one of the reasons why your body becomes more sensitive is not just because of your nervous system, but when you get injured, a lot of times people just completely stop movement. And when you stop movement, we know that physiologically, your muscles are going to start to atrophy. You're going to start to lose coordination. You're going to start to lose endurance. You're going to start to lose strength and stability because motion is lotion. And if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So when we start to completely rest and like let our body just not do anything, a lot of these other factors play into it, which is going to decrease our baseline of what our body can tolerate. And if our body can't tolerate a lot, then you can see how the sensitivity goes up even more. Mm. Because now, instead of you being able to tolerate this much, whatever movement or activity, it's down here. Mm. And so the ceiling is a lot lower. And so it doesn't take too much for you to experience another bout of pain or a flare up. And that's kind of like just a very um, common way that we try to explain to our clients of like why even after months you're dealing with this problem. But when we think about like pain, let's say someone has chronic pain, right? And they're like, I don't know what's safe to move in and out of. A lot of times we use like a pain scale that is, okay, so like a stoplight. Well, first there's like a couple a couple things that we educate our clients on is one is if you're doing an exercise and you feel like a, a little bit of discomfort, like something that you can rate from like a one, zero to like a three, like something that's tolerable discomfort, but it doesn't get worse while you do the exercise, then that's a green, that's a green light. So you can continue with the exercise as long as the pain doesn't get worse. Like it's just uncomfortable. Right. And then the second part is, okay, if let's say it goes from like a four to like a six, like that's a yellow light. So it's more of like a look both ways before you cross the street. Let's monitor it a little bit while you do the exercise. If it gets worse and it starts to push up towards like a red light, which is a, like a seven and up, then completely stop and then communicate with your physical therapist that this is what happened. But let's say you're doing the exercise and it's like a little bit uncomfortable, but it's not getting worse. And it's like actually feels better as you do the exercise, then it's a green light that you can continue to move forward. But 
again, the yellow is just to be a little bit more cautious and not just push through it like we would if it was something green. The other piece of advice that like, or um, education that we like to tell our clients is like, when the pain comes on, it really it is going to dictate to us like whether or not, like what we need to change in the program. So for example, let's say if you start doing an exercise and then like, let's say a traditional side plank and you're like propped up on your shoulder and you have no pain up until 30 seconds. And then after 30 seconds, your pain starts to set in. Well, that tells us that the exercise itself is actually something that we need to work on. It's just that your body is lacking the endurance to push past 30 seconds. So it's not so much, okay, we need to stop this exercise completely. We just need to be able to dose your exercise in a way where your body's going to be able to adapt that we can work up to the 30 seconds and then beyond the 30 seconds. So there's just like little pieces of advice we like to like give our, our, our clients just to give them knowledge and to give them like an idea, like if they do something, this isn't like a red flag. And what does the pain mean? Like if these things are like at least like on the top of your head when you're doing these these exercise programs or, or rehab programs, then it, it allows you to learn more about your body that like, oh, maybe it's not the exercise that's bad. I just need to build my way up to it, you know? And it's also important to note that like when we encounter like an, a position that's painful, we try to find other exercises that can target the same goal of what we're trying to get out of the body without aggravating the body. So there's always a way, like we truly believe that you can regress, you can change positions, you can change all these different factors in order for us to get the benefits that we want, but we have to search and we have to explore. And that's where the whole model of the traditional PT doesn't work is that we don't have that freedom to explore. You don't have that time to talk and really look through things. Like if anything, if a squat hurts, people say don't squat. But like literally there's like so many positions you can put somebody in that can replicate what you want to get out of a squat position, depending on what you want and still get the benefits and can build them up back to a squat. I do want to ask you, touch upon what's in the zeitgeist right now of the jujitsu community being that we're in early April right now. And that would be the incident in Del Mar Jiu-Jitsu Academy, where an individual had just won a $46 million, I believe, a legal case. Let's talk about the injury that occurred there. What causes paralysis? So like you have nerves in your neck, uh -huh. right? And like um, that run through like your vertebrae. And then those nerves like split off in different parts of the body, but the root is in the neck. So if like a vertebrae becomes compromised or like breaks or something, like it can sever nerves. So like the nerves that are supposed to be like the motor control for, for example, like I think it was like um, C4, C6, that's what where he was compromised. Mm. Like those nerves, not only do they, they function as like controlling our limbs, but they function as controlling like our organs too. Mm. So like he lost like a function of like, I think his bladder and, and all these things because of how serious that injury was. And it's just like, um, basically your nerves get compromised and then they just get severed. And then like, when that happens then you lose all the function to everything that the nerve is supposed to innervate, hmm. which from the neck down, it's like a lot of stuff. Now, can this be like a temporary thing? Now I've heard reports, cause this happened, I guess, several years ago that the individual has, is able to like run now and, and do all these things. So there was a road to recovery, right? Uh, you know what? It's really crazy because like I've known people who have had like severe spinal cord injuries and stuff. And, and yeah, there's the recovery is really, really long. You know, you can imagine like it's years and some people never regain full 
access to their body and and it really just depends on the body too but there's some people who can make miraculous um, recoveries and i think for him specifically i would have to look a little bit deeper into it but he is like a, a like an avid like mountain climber now and all that kind of stuff but i don't think he has full recovery of all his limbs and he still struggles with some body functions that are that he lost during that accident. So it's it's really difficult to like 100% recover, but I guess for him it was more of like getting to a place where he could have a decent quality of life that's like truly like a miracle. Like it's like wow, like you your body has been able to recover to that point. Okay, well uh on to a, a yeah. happier final topic here is uh <laughs> your your media. Yeah. I love your media. I love your Instagram. It's it's incredible. It's how I discovered you. Everyone should should check it out. You guys have a plethora of ideas that you've uh put on there and, and concepts and great advice as well as um I didn't know this until I was doing a lot more deeper research into you. You guys have a BJJ Fanatics instructional. It's called Safe Early ACL Rehabilitation by Open Map Physio. Can you talk about that? a little bit yeah yeah so a couple years ago we actually maybe it was last year but we got a connection to bjj fanatics and we were able to create an instructional with them on like safe rehab for acls in the beginning because what we notice is like a lot of times if under a provider that doesn't really understand like specifically what is necessary especially in jujitsu like the the range of motion the mobility that needs to be regained for somebody who wants to go back to jujitsu, there's some steps that get skipped um, in the beginning of ACL rehab, which is can have long-term effects on somebody. And we've seen this before. So that's why we created this instructional in a way to just allow people to be educated on these positions that are super, super, super like integral in jujitsu and some non-negotiable things that you need to get back in order for you to be able to train 100% again. And that way it's like a bit of a guide for people to have their own backs of knowing if I went to PT, this is what I need to focus on. Or if I'm going to do my rehab myself, this is what I'm going to focus on. And that was like our, our instructional that we did with BJJ Fanatics. It was really fun, but it's it's been great. And we've gotten like a lot of really great feedback from people who have bought it. Open Map Physio, can you touch on these like the criteria of becoming a client? Yeah, so right now, um, the majority of our services are actually remote. Most of our stuff is remote. So like it gives us the flexibility to be able to work with a lot of our clients, even if we're not in person. Yeah, we, we have a couple different services. Like one is of course, like the online remote training and assessments and check-ins. And that's like the most, like the highest touch point, like we're one-on-one, truly working one-on-one and trying to figure out what's going on. And then the second option that we have is that we have like this exercise library on online that you can like access through our website, which is just during the pandemic, you know, we didn't really have much to do and we wanted to train. And then, you know what, let's just film like a bunch of videos. So we filmed like 300 something videos and then we were able to put it into an exercise library and categorize it based off of body parts and and different performance things too. So we have like a warm up, a cool down. If you want to work on sprinting, we have acceleration, plyometrics, like broken down into different categories where you can go in there and just explore like the exercises that we usually would recommend to somebody, of course, without as much of like the one-on-one help. But it's really helpful with like some of our clients who have reached out to us and say, hey, like 
we really like the exercise library because at least gives us an idea of what we should be working on rather than like going on YouTube and finding like random things. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you asked some excellent questions with everything and a lot of things that people are curious about. You know, there's this is something that like I could talk about for like forever, which is which is, you know, something that I, I, I feel very blessed to be able to be in this position where like it's something that I truly like, am passionate about being able to help jujitsu athletes. But I just want to thank you for having me on. Like I appreciate you trusting us and allowing us to be able to kind of speak on on some of these topics and stuff. So thank you. So Diana, where can we get more information about you and everything that's going on with yourself and the company? Yeah, you can find us on uh, Instagram at OpenMetPhysio, OpenMet underscore Physio. And then at our website, www.OpenMetPhysio.com, that'll have all our services. And But yeah, we got some projects coming up, which will be pretty exciting. So everyone, thanks so much for watching, listening. I'm your host, Adolfo Fronda. Don't forget, consider becoming a VIP member. Give us a thumbs up, you know, subscribe, five stars on all your platforms. And thank you so much for your time. Diana, again, it was a, such an honor to talk to you and such a pleasure. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much. Hey, see you guys.